story if you're a Christian. We were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, and now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars, and now we're thank you that each and every time we come into your presence as a body of believers each and every Sunday morning that there is truly joy in the house of the Lord. One passage in your word calls it inexpressible joy and it certainly is because there is no way to express the joy that we get from having a relationship with you. We should never have had a relationship with you but you made a way and we just give you praise and glory we deserve death and hell but you've given us the opportunity for a life with you and we just give you all the praise and all the glory lord if there is one in this room that that needs to reach out to you in faith and repent and believe we pray today would be their day of salvation for the rest of us we pray that we give you all the praise and all the glory that you deserve it's in christ's name we pray amen all right be seated please and uh we do uh want you to fill out a, uh, a connection card. If you're maybe a first or second time guest with us, please fill that out and uh, take that to the connection area in the lobby. And we have a token of our appreciation for you being here today. All right. And then there's also a prayer request card in the pew back there in front of you. We'll be faithful to pray for those requests. So please, uh, please do that. Another special, and we don't have a uh, up there, sorry about that, but just let me uh, let you know what's going on for July. There is no Wednesday night activities, okay, and no Sunday night activities here, even though ministries will be going fast and furious, vacation Bible school, camps, trips, uh, so be in prayer for all those things, but just here on campus, no Wednesday night, no, no Sunday night, okay, uh, and then also 4th of July tomorrow, the office will be be closed. All right. So please keep that in mind. All right. So happy Independence Day. What is it? Uh, 246 years we've celebrated 
our independence. And so praise the Lord. And so, but uh, instead of singing, you know, God bless America and stars and stripes forever, we're going to go another direction. We're going to uh, just give God praise for our country and ask his petition uh, or petition him uh, to keep leading and guiding our country. Let's read this uh, proverb together. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Well, praise God, about a week and a half ago, uh, a little bit more righteousness shined into the United States of America. Amen? And, and so we just need to continue to pray for that. And so we're going to sing songs that include Jesus. He is the hope for not just our nation, but the nations. We're going to sing songs like... Uh, though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king who is over all. So let's sing together. Let's petition our Lord today. Jesus, hope of the nations, Jesus, comfort Source of heaven's light. 
about Independence Day. Uh, we think about the God who leads us and guides us. Uh, again, what a beautiful uh, reminder. Though the nations rage, and they're raging, amen, kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, and we've had the, the, the well, is it, is it true? We've had the best run on the face of the earth, and, uh, but there's no guarantee of tomorrow, is there? But there is a guarantee that the King of Kings will still be on His throne, amen? Amen.
today. Lord God, I'm reminded of uh, the psalm that reminds us some trust in chariots, some in horses. If that were sung today or said today, it might read like some trust in Republicans, some trust in Democrats, uh, some trust in conservatives, some trust in liberals, but I will trust in the Lord my God. And so Lord, we pray that you would just continue to lead this great nation and uh, we look to you for our answers. We don't look to Washington. And uh, Lord, we just pray uh, that you would lead each and every one of our leaders. We pray for them. We lift them up to you. Those that are believers, we pray that you just strengthen them and encourage them and give them the courage to go on. Those who do not know you, Lord, you even can lead them. And, and you do, and you have, and you will. And we pray that you do that, Lord. And uh, Lord, be with us as we give and, and give this offering to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to move now to uh, getting ready for the pastor's uh, words from Ephesians. And so uh, today we're going to talk about uh, submitting to one another. Well, not a lot of submitting to one another's songs, I know, but there's a lot of submitting to God's songs, I know. And if we get that right, then we can certainly do the second, okay? So let's talk about and sing about submitting to God today. You give life 
Stand in all. I die. 
just a hymn. And I'll stand in awe of you. Yes, I'll stand in awe of you. And I'll I do think it is fitting that we thank our God on this pre-fourth day, on the third, for all the freedoms that we do enjoy as a country. Now, of course, we sometimes say that, Lord, thank you that we don't suffer like other countries. That would be a wrong-headed prayer, right? Because they're suffering, many of them, for the cause of Christ, and God has them directly in his will suffering in other parts of the world. Uh, we need to thank the Lord, though, that we still have channels that are open for the church to have a witness in the United States of America without having an underground church, which could happen soon in our country. We don't need to take that for granted. But all the while, as believers, we need to remember the confidence that we have through Christ with our God. That is ultimately the most important freedom that we have, the greatest Emancipation proclamation is that you've been set free from sin and death. That very power that held sway over your life, according to Hebrews 10, 5, 15, is the fear of death. And those who are in Christ Jesus, he's plucked that stinger straight out of death. What a blessing for us as his people. Well, in line with that, the sermon title today is Walk with Spirit-Filled Lives, Submission. How do y'all feel about that for the 4th of July sermon? I want to remind you that the Bible does say in Romans 13, 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. How amenable are you to that? For that text says 
They were instituted by God. They're servants of the Lord for our good. Um, I kind of feel like saying something on sandlots when I read that. You're killing me, Smalls, right? <laughs> when I read that, I think, Lord, how in the world is, am I even amenable at all to that particular thing? But yet it is in the text of Scripture. And so that is our subject today. Aren't you thankful that our God is building his church? Nothing's going to stop that. Remember the doxology of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It's a reminder that the Lord God will build his church, uh, much like Matthew 16. But not only that, uh, he's promised that it will endure forever. The only thing that will last forever is the church. And what a blessing that is for us. We talked about the fact last week that one of the first things we teach our kids once they, once they can speak is that they would say, Thank you. There you go. Well, there's something else that we teach them as soon as we possibly can. We try to break them of the habit of saying, well, since we're talking about movies, Finding Nemo, mine, mine, mine. I saw some of those things uh, in Huntington Beach, seagulls or whatever, and we, we said that thing when it was said the same thing when it was perched on that fence post. Mine, mine, mine. Well, we want to raise our kids in such a way that they're not clutching and clinging and they're not little mind mind creatures we're all born with this problem it's called it's all about me syndrome whereas we learned last week that ingratitude according to Romans chapter 1 is certainly a product of depravity so is it's all about me syndrome it is also part of our depravity but it doesn't stop when you're kids it continues on correctly into adulthood as a matter of fact it doesn't easily die and this particular syndrome of it's all about me actually plagues our hearts did you know that it's a supernatural result of the Holy Spirit of God controlling your life that overcomes that particular will and desire for everything to be about you and you all of a sudden began to submit more to the power of the Spirit's control over your life. Now again, if you go back to chapter 4 verse 1, let's put together the thought. Let's don't lose the forest for the trees. And it's important to remind ourselves of chapter 4 verse 1. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy. And then we see that particular word peripateo used <clears throat> over and over all the way up to chapter 5, verse 15, when it says, walk circumspectly. Walk as wise people, not as foolish. <clears throat> and then, Paul is going to bring together being filled with the Spirit of God with walk. Thus your title, walk with, walk with Spirit-filled lives. If you do so, there are results. And one of them is not barking like a dog in Toronto laughter. One is not speaking in tongues. The results of being filled with the Spirit are given to you in participial form. And there's five of them. You did well on one of them today. You sang and you're doing better. Because I told you if you didn't sing it was a sin. Right? So you guys are singing now. So those first three participials are brought together for worship. Speaking to one another, addressing, singing, making melody, all participial phrases. And then we learned the thanksgiving part last week. Today, 
we're on submitting to one another. So Paul is bringing that together for us. Remember, to be filled with the Spirit is to be under the Spirit's control in such a way that he is, you're under his influence. But you can never separate it from the saturation of the Word of God. Right? It's not just, it's not just the Holy Spirit and nothing else. The Holy Spirit never works apart from the written Word of God. So you have to bring those two together. It is, it is control of the Spirit of God. It's living under the Lordship of Christ as you are saturated with the Word of God. So, it's crystal clear from context of Scripture here that these issues of participles of result are not individualized. So when people start to say, this is my individual feeling and I... I get these particular things happening in my life, being filled with the Spirit, but it's absent of the church body, then you need to put up the spiritual antennas and say, what's going on here? Because look, every result in this text about being with the, filled with the Spirit has to do with the church. It has to do with community life. Now, you can sing to yourself at home in the shower. You can sing by yourself. I, you can speak to yourself, but you can't speak to one another without the church family. You can't. Uh, you can give thanks by yourself, but the context is the plurality of community life. Now, that doesn't mean that the command is not given individually to all of us. It's just that once you understand the seriousness of the command, you realize that it's lived out with one another. It's lived out in community life. So, this is lived by song, by praise, by worship, by giving thanks, by submitting one to Another. So we arrive at verse 21. How do y'all feel when you read that verse? Participle of result. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Did you know that that is a hinge verse? It is a hinge because it contains the final result that Paul gives of being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians. But it also introduces submission into the domestic order of life. Martin Luther called it table rules. The hustafil is what he called it. So it's, it's a hinge verse. Completing the participles of result. Introducing submission in the realm of domestic life. I think I mentioned that as you study these participles of result, they're in ascending order. Are y'all listening? It's easier to give thanks than to submit. It's easier to sing, even though you're a Baptist. It's easier to sing than it is to submit. So I'm telling you, this is the most difficult participle of result of the control of the Spirit upon your life. And don't look at me so spiritual because you know it. Don't you? Being in subjection to one another. So it's a challenge for the spirit-filled life. Okay, are you ready? You're thinking, Pastor, we've got you where you want, we want you. You've got to explain what this submission is. What is it? I don't have to remind you that there is a danger of misunderstanding this particular admonition. On one end, you've got to avoid either extreme. Okay? To misinterpret it on one extreme or the other and the danger is immense. It's a critical passage for us. Are y'all ready? Y'all got to go anywhere today? I'm going to Godfathers. 
today, but it probably will be 12 o'clock before I get there. So that means just sit back and relax. Put your focus upon submitting one to another. There it is, submitting to one another. So Paul literally says, be submitting yourselves to one another. The Greek word to submit, are you ready? Hypostaso. So husbands, don't use this word this week to your wives. Hypostaso, right? But that's the word, again, that's the word root, but it's given the ending of that Greek word, presses it into a participial phrase, and it means to be subject, to be in subjection, to be subordinate to, or here it is, or to obey. And here's the thing you need to understand. The word submit implies authority. Okay? You have to keep this together. And subjection to that authority. There's no reason to put that word submit in there if it doesn't, if, if it's not supplied in the word submit to have authority and be in subjection to that authority. Those two elements must be maintained. However, in our day, the concept of submission is about as popular as the word tyranny or oppression. And we know this, okay? Yet Paul would tell us that this is one of the results of a spirit-filled life. Don't miss the connection. On the one hand, we must maintain, in any explanation of this text, you got to maintain authority and submission as they come together. But on the other hand, we must not equate being submissive with being passive. Those are not the same thing in a biblical perspective. So Paul says the submission should be to, what's the text say? One another. The word has authority and living under the authority in subjection to it. But then Paul gives us the terminology of one another. Now do y'all know that certain phrases in the Bible cause a lot of trouble? Well this one does. I'm sure you've been introduced to a term called egalitarian or, e or egalitarianism. Okay. Now when you bring that over into the church, it's called evangelical feminist. I don't believe you can be an evangelical feminist any more than you can be an evangelical mafia member. I just have to tell you that straightforward. Evangelicalism and feminism are antithetically opposed to one another. Period. An egalitarian believes that all authority structure, male and female, needs to be obliterated. Their idea is that everyone is equal on the same ground. Not only personhood, which we all agree that there's no, there's no difference of equality of personhood and dignity between a man and a woman. However, they would say there should, there should be no concept of authority and submission and is completely done away with. So they seek to erase gender distinctions and gender roles and thus erase authority and submission. Their claim is that verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5 becomes the governing principle for all the remainder of the household codes that are given to us beginning in 522 and carrying down through 6-9. So what do they mean by that? Well, when you read, be subject to one another, they think that simply means mutual submission. 
So that begins to govern the remainder of the entire text in such a way that you would read it like this. Wives submit unto your husbands and husbands also submit unto your wives. The point they make serves them well with that particular, serves their false interpretation well when they are just addressing husband and wives. But I want to remind you that it falls apart pretty fast when the next phrase says, as the church is subject to Christ, is Christ subject to the church? What would you all say about that? Children, obey your parents. Parents, I'm not even going to say it. (laughs) You see, that hermeneutic is flawed from the start. Slaves, obey your masters. Masters, obey your slaves. No, that's not the way the text unfolds at all. So, this is what they see in this passage. Listen to one of the leading egalitarian feminists. Or I would say this is an egalitarian feminist, evangelical feminist. And I quote, The addition of the reciprocal pronoun to each other in verse 521 changes the meaning of submission entirely. By definition, then, mutual submission rules out hierarchical differences. As a result, 521 controls our understanding of 522 through 69. And here I'm going to cut to the chase. Accordingly, Wives are to submit to their husbands and husbands are to submit to their wives in the exact same way. That is the way that they translate one another. But this interpretation is nothing more than a flimsy attempt to do away with male headship and male leadership. And it falls apart as you go down through the text. Wayne Grudem says, in observing this passage, in each case, there is submission to authority, but there's also A regulation to the authority. Why do y'all think that's the case? Because it's individualized as you move through the text. In other words, it's not mutual submission throughout the text. It is wise to be subject to your own husbands. And how is the husband's authority regulated by the Lord? You got to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then there's a regulation here. Children obey your parents. And how is the parental authority to be regulated? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. So the text does not mean that all hierarchical distinctions are obliterated, meaning submission and authority being undone. You cannot interpret it to diminish or abolish legitimate spheres of authority. And you cannot use it to support feminism, egalitarianism, or the rights of children to divorce their parents. Y'all know that happens, don't you? It does. So... You can't twist the scripture to fit the culture. The worst thing we can ever do is exegete exegete the Bible by culture. We let the Bible exegete the culture. We let the word of God reign supreme. So what is Paul actually telling us in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21? What does it mean by, what is he meaning to, what is he giving us when he says submit to one another? And listen how he gives it, in reverence. To Christ. Well, there's actually two possibilities that are hermeneutically sound. Are you having fun? Are you? There's a lot of things I would rather preach on, but you know what comes next in the text? Submission. So we have to talk about it. All right, one, write this down. Here's the first option 
in the one another section, Paul doesn't have in mind a strict one-for-one application of submission, but rather he's affirming that all Christians are to be in submission to the proper authorities in life, whether it's church leaders, husbands, parents, masters, and thus one another is not a universally mutual thing. It is rather a restricted thing having to do with legitimate spheres of authority. I quote one theological individual, Peter O'Brien, who holds this view. He says the apostle is not speaking of mutual submission in the sense of reciprocal subordination, but submission to those who are in authority over them. The particular ways in which Christians are to submit to others are then specified in a household table for wives, children, servants. It's not mutual submission that is in view as the egalitarian interpretation claims, and I say amen to that, but submission to appropriate authorities. The present context then given that submit is one directional, it's a reference to submission to authority, And the pronoun doesn't always indicate a symmetrical relationship. All right? It's almost like Paul would say this, submitting to one another. And now let me show you what that looks like. Does that make sense? That's one particular view. I can certainly adhere to that particular view. Here's the second one. The term one another really is a universal reciprocal call to those within the body of Christ. Are you listening? within the body of Christ to submit to one another but not in a way that obliterates authority structures whether they are ecclesiastical what's that mean? church, ecclesiology God has set up a hierarchy in the church elders are to lead deacons are to serve neither does it obliterate domestic household right? husbands and wives neither does it obliterate governmental. I know you want it to, but it doesn't. It is, it, is, it is to be subject to one another in such a way that there is a meekness and a spirit-controlled ability to be able to defer to our brothers and sisters in the Lord and to put them above ourselves and to put their wills above our wills. Now, how do y'all feel about that? Well, I have to tell you, I think it's the second one. Can I take the first one? Absolutely. But I think it's important that we see see this in the context of what Paul is writing it for. I certainly can accept Peter O'Brien's interpretation and how that flows through with hierarchical structure individually. But I actually hold the interpretation that Paul is saying, be subject to one another under the authority of Christ in a mutual reciprocal way But in no way does it destroy, in no way does it weaken authority structures that have been clearly given to us and that God has established in His Word. I think in our zeal to protect authority, in our zeal to protect submission in the home and in the church and to protect gender roles that God has forthrightly established, I think sometimes we come away with a bad exegetical response, right? Uh, It's wrong to discard something valuable in order to protect something that you think is important. I think biblically we need to do both. There are many doctrines in the Bible that if you put them side by side, you're going to come out with a mental Charlie horse. Right? If you studied your Bible. 
But you can't throw away something that is immensely valuable in order to protect something that is important. Don't diminish God's word in one area to protect what it says in another. I think what Paul means is that the church of God is to be so controlled by the spirit of God in such a way that they're actually deferring to their brethren and sisterin, putting other people and their needs above themselves, and actually submitting to an appeal from individuals and their will over ourselves. Are there biblical examples of this? If you have to think too hard about that one, then you haven't read your Bible. Though he did not consider his equality with the Father something to be grasped, but he made himself of no reputation. That's called the humiliation of Christ. You understand that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, has always existed equally with the Father. But he didn't consider his equality with the Father something to grasp hold of as he condescended to this earth to obey his Father's will and more importantly to do something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. He saw your need, right? So, is there other examples in the Word of God? Let me back up. Did Jesus Christ abdicate his authority in any way by coming to this earth? Did he abdicate his authority in any way by obeying his Father? Absolutely not. And then when you get to 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, Paul says, We've become servants of Jesus Christ for your sake. Guess what the word servant is? Slave. We become bond servants. Did Paul abdicate his authority over the Corinthian church? Absolutely not. Why? Because they had no authority over Paul. God had placed him there with apostolic authority. Yet with Christ, like submission, Paul says, we've become your servant. Now, we can easily rob ourselves from something that is so rich and something that needs to be active in this church body if we're not careful. Okay? So don't, here's what I'm saying, you can't jump straight over submitting to one another in the fear of Christ without thinking about the context of Ephesians. We're dealing with gifts given to us. We're dealing with the body of Christ. We're dealing with how we treat one another in the body of Christ. But then he begins to show you structure and authority. It does not lessen wives submitting to your husbands. It does not lessen the headship of a man in the home. It does not lessen authority structures given to us from the word of God. How is the spirit-filled submission? How is it displayed in the church body? Let me give you two things. It's in your bulletin. Spirit-filled submission creates in us a disposition that yields to one another. In other words, if you're controlled by the Spirit through the Word, then you will not assert yourself in a prideful, authoritarian spirit. Is that amen or oh me? The Spirit-controlled life is not one of self-seeking or self-assertion. This is hard, isn't it? It, as the Spirit exercises lordship over us, and our lives through his word, he brings us into a disposition that yields to one another. One great theologian once said, God has so bound us to each other that no man ought to avoid subjection. And where love reigns, there ought to be mutual servitude. Well said. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Spirit-filled submission requires humility and an earnest, honest desire for us to put others above ourselves. Does anybody think you need the Holy Spirit to do this? <laughs> you better believe it. That's why it's called spirit-filled. Do we put others above ourselves naturally? 
do we put others above ourselves naturally? We have something inherent within us that says, I have my rights, and you shall not trample over them, and I'm going to do everything I can to protect them. Has that not been the case in our country lately? It's absolutely. We are gutted with the quest for individual rights. We seek to protect them no matter what. Yet Paul tells us that living out a spirit-controlled life under the lordship of the Holy Spirit, saturated with the word of God, pushes us toward a disposition to relinquish ourselves and our wills and put people above ourselves. Imagine what our church would look like if we reached this kind of spirit-filled disposition of looking for others' needs greater than our own. John Stott writes, Sometimes a person who claims to be filled with the Spirit becomes aggressive, self-assertive, and brash. Any fingers pointing each way? Has anybody ever done that before? But the Holy Spirit is a humble spirit. And those who are truly filled by Him always display the gentleness and meekness of Christ. It's an evident characteristic of being filled with the Spirit of God. Let's look at ourselves today and think about that. Now, in our world, if you have any kind of tone that's above, how are you today? Then we're told that we're unruly and it's all about tone. Well, look, I've blown it with my tone many times in my life. You know what I do? I confess that and it's called sin. But I'm not going to stop telling the truth. So don't let people tell you that your tone is off, therefore be silent. The last thing we need to do is be silent. But we need to do it in the right way. In the meekness of Christ. Notice, that's what it says. We're to do so in the fear of Christ. Did you know that the fear of God is the Old Testament soul, S-O-U-L, of godliness? It is the fear of the Lord. So Paul takes the fear of God and he puts a Christocentric twist on it. And he calls it the fear of Christ. Why would Paul do such a thing? Who saved you? Who redeemed you? Who bore your penalty on Calvary's tree? Who died a substitutionary atoning death on your behalf and in your stead? Who's the king? We're talking about the one we reverence, right? Who is the king who has come, who reigns, who came, who is coming again? And check this out. Everybody in this room is going to stand under his judgment bar. He's not only, he's not finished. He's coming again and we will be judged under his bar of judgment. Enough said about reverence in Christ. Right? Who he is. What he's done. And what he's going to do in the future. He's focusing on the source of authority of the one who has all authority. Matthew 28. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So our thoughts and actions must be brought into conformity to the fear of Christ, to reverencing Jesus. Do you know, folks, look, submission is contrary to the human spirit. But Paul calls us to fear Christ alone. And he will take away fierce resistance. The Holy Spirit of God will temper us, temper our pride so that we serve one another. So he calls us to mutual submission that does not in any shape or form undermine the established authority structures but calls us into the fear of Christ as we yield to one another. So look, we're going to study 522 down through 6-9. And we're going to see clear hierarchical structure in Holy Scripture. We're going to see authority structures. And there is submission in there. Paul's going to expound upon particular realities when it comes to husbands and wives. 
parents and children, slaves and masters. But he's also calling us to an inter-church, one another, mutual submission and the fear of Christ that manifests itself in this body. Does that make sense? Is that clear? Y'all help me. Is that clear? It should be our goal to honor the God-ordained familial structures, the ecclesiastical structures, the governmental structures. The goal is to live and to honor God, not obliterate them on the altar of feminism and egalitarianism. We can't honor God doing it different than what he asks us to do. It's clear. These are not cultural mandates. That's the argument in SBC life now, somewhat. Why can't we change things? Because it seems that culturally we should change things. Are you going to change the creation narrative? If you change it, then you're welcome to change something else. But you can't. Okay? God has given it this way for our benefit. So, it's important. We want to honor God. But we want to also honor Ephesians 5.21 and the commands given to us. These participials. So question. Should a husband submit to his wife's authority? And the answer is categorically no. Because she does not have God-ordained authority over her husband. That's clear from the text. But should the husband lead and govern his own house with a submissive, not a passive, spirit in the fear of Christ? And the answer to that is yes. You knucklehead. If you don't, you're in trouble. Right? Are there times when a husband in the fear of Christ, loving his wife as Christ loved the church, should he submit to an appeal from his wife for her good? Yes. Again, if you're any kind of husband and you haven't learned that, shame on you. Being the head of your home is not a tyrant. Barking out orders without listening to your spouse. You listen to her appeal because you love her. And if you don't do this, then you're failing in what the Bible calls you to be as the head of your home. And to fail here is to make a disgrace out of male headship. Amen? Well, you guys stuck in here with me and didn't walk out. I'm proud of you. Are there times when the husband lovingly listens to an appeal from his wise, judicious wife, and then he acts in love, and he submits his will to hers. Does he lose authority? Absolutely not. But is Ephesians 5.21 in operation? Absolutely. So the qualification is important folks. Don't miss the whole thing. The husband is not submitting to a command from someone who has authority over him but rather he's submitting to an appeal from someone to which he has authority over and out of love and the fear of Christ he willingly subjects his will to hers. Should the elders of this church ever abdicate our authority in leading this church? No, we should not. There is ecclesiastical authority given to us by God, invested in eldership, that needs to be exercised in order for us to walk in Christ's likeness. Elders should never abdicate their authority. However, in the spirit of Ephesians 5.21, should elders, elders in a local assembly... Be submissive as they seek to lead the church in the fear of Christ. Let's say, for instance, that 
We come together as elders and we have a decision we're going to make. We've prayed over it. It's a good decision. It's not a bad decision. There's nothing wrong with the decision. But we put it out there and someone comes to me and they say, Pastor, can I speak to you and the rest of the pastor's elders? Sure. Is there a possibility we could pump the brakes and think about this particular decision? Because i got to check in my spirit and I'm not quite sure if we ought to go this route. What should be our response? Some of you that are tyrannical, authoritarians, think that what I just said is kind of weak. That I would even listen to such a thing. Some of you others think that if you're a weak egalitarian, there's promise coming to our church. Because we're just going to be flimsy. Well, if you're understanding 521 correctly, then you understand that for an elder or group of elders to say, you know what, in the spirit of how you came and what your suggestion is, you are right. And we are going to pause and we're going to think about this for the fear of Christ and the good of our church body because this may not be the best way to go. Any amens? I mean, folks, that's exactly how we held and took care of our renovation. You remember that? And God blessed us. And as of right now, other than this carpet in here, I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. <laughs> I mean, just think. It, it's been a blessing because God gave us the money and I think we made the best decision according to that. So, in no shape or form does it erase authority or submission structure. However, it does temper them to hear the word subjection. Right? It tempers everything to hear, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. I think if we're serious about living out and applying biblical ethics, we quickly realize that everything is not so neat and easy. Is it? We have to think about how we live out things. There are difficulties in applying God's word on a practical daily basis. Okay? Godly decisions is what we are after. Does Ephesians 5.21 have massive implications to every relationship we have in this church? Yes, it does. Y'all get this, right? It impacts marriage. Oh, buddy, does it ever, right? It impacts music. It does. Because, I mean, if we don't sing what's new, and if we can't rock it out, then I'm not going to stay here. You realize people have left this church simply because of music. It's never about the preaching of the word, which is primary. It's about how you feel. It's about music. It's about rev me up, right? Think about that. It affects music. Subjection affects music. It affects wine. And be not drunk with wine. And there's a right, legitimate use, according to the Bible. But we need to preach hard. About the abuse. Right? So it affects wine. Does it affect building plans? <laughs> oh, yeah. It does. It really does. We know this, don't we? Just walking through that. Y'all should have done it this way. The toilet is too low. The faucet should have been a different color. Right? Some of you are laughing and you're so guilty. Right? <laughs> I wanted this color and that color. It even affects potluck meals. Subjecting to one another. Interchurch relationships. 
And it also affects the color of the carpet. You know this. Dear friends of mine, Scott and Ginger, we were best friends growing up. Married best friends. And they've been a blessing. We saw that in Bowman Baptist, didn't we? I mean, just knock down drag outs over the silliest stuff. Instead of deferring to one another. It wasn't, we're not talking about truth versus error. We're just talking about personal preferences. People just, yes, it affects. All right. Let me give you one final example of how this works in the office. All right. Let's say that I call Don and I say, Don, or I text him or I just scream at him down the hallway. And I say, Don, I want you to order me this new set of commentaries. I need these commentaries. So would you please look them up, order them for me. And Don says, dude, who are you? Let's talk about this for a minute, buddy. I handle the books around this church. You better listen to me because my opinion matters. And it's just as good as yours, pastor. Well, that would be called the egalitarian frame of reference. Seriously. That could be a response. That, that is mutual submission at the eradication, at the expense of the eradication of authority. Right? Okay, here's a unilateral submissiveness. Don, would you please order me these commentaries? Well, pastor, you're the boss. You are my pastor, and you can fire me. So I'll do exactly what you asked me to do because you're the pastor and you told me to. That would be authoritarian, unilateral subjection policy that I don't like and don't think is right. Here is what Ephesians 5.21 would do. Don, would you please order me this particular set of commentaries when time allows? This could be Don's response. Pastor, you know I love you. But have you looked at your bookshelves? Do you know how many commentaries you already have? One more is not going to help your preaching. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. That's not what he would say. He would say, Pastor, would you consider this before you make your final decision? You are over the allotted educational expense for the year. Your book allowance is completely dried up. If you'll wait till January... There'll be sufficient funds in there, and it'll just work better financially, and it will be more responsible. Furthermore, and Don would do, I will look for you on the Internet, and I will find those commentaries a lot cheaper, and let's get them at that particular time. And being the spirit-filled, submissive pastor that I am, <laughs> no, seriously, I should, in the spirit of subjection, say to Don, I appreciate your input. I appreciate your appeal. And guess what, brother? I can wait. Y'all understand? This is what Paul is talking about. If you don't understand this, you don't know much about the grace of God. You don't know much about the spirit of Christ at work in your life. Furthermore, you don't know much about how Jesus entered this very world. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with the Father. I want to remind you of 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And if you're lost, listen close. For we know the grace of our God. That though he was rich. I mean, when was Jesus Christ ever rich? The Bible says he had no place to even lay his head. Because he's the eternal king. That's when he was rich. Just recall his glory for a moment. He did not consider that as something to grasp. Though he was rich, he became poor. 
that through his poverty, you might become rich. If you're lost today, know the grace of God. Jesus Christ came down from heaven so that you could be saved. So that in your poverty, you might become rich. That's what the understanding is. So here's the deal. Let's put away pride and self-agendas. Let's put away authoritarian spirit. And let's abound in love for one another out of fear of Christ. Remember this. He loved himself. He loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. Great God, we stop and Lord, we're sinners. And we confess that we, we act wrongly. We sin. Uh, we're brash. We have bad tones. Lord, we act with an authoritarian spirit at times. Lord, help us. It's your spirit that tempers us. Lord, it's not enough just to acknowledge it. We have to repent of it. And Father, we repent before you. That's my prayer. Lord, I don't know if that's the prayer of those who are hearing me. But Lord, we've all been guilty. And dear Jesus, help us. Help us. Help us in this church family not to be self-seeking, warning our agendas. God, help us think about others. That's how Philippians 2 starts. Let each esteem others higher than themselves. And then you go on to tell us what Jesus did. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That though you were the king, you did not consider it robbery. To be equal with the Father. But you made yourself of no reputation. Lord, you didn't lose. You didn't abdicate your authority. But you willingly submitted to the Father's will and for our sakes. According to 2 Corinthians 9. Lord, we, we praise you for it. God, help us in our attitude toward one another to think about who you are, Christ, in fear of you, what you've done, and what you're going to do in the future. Lord, help us. If there's someone lost today, Lord God, would you bring life to a dead spirit? And only your Holy Spirit, through the word preached, can accomplish that. Lord, would you do it? And would you work in such a way that this lost person responds in faith and trust in Jesus only for salvation? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, Come Just As You Are. Come just as you are and hear the Spirit
Natalie was reading some devotionals this morning and she shot them over to me. And there was a couple of reminders. You know, our world is getting progressively more at enmity toward church life. Uh, your best table in the presence of your enemies is your church. I'm telling you folks, the church of the living God will endure forever. You need the church, okay? Secondly, in the midst of all of this, remember that Jesus told us that the world will hate you just as it hated him. We don't need to back up of being salt and light. We, we need to make sure we keep a bold witness for Christ. We have to. That's what God has called us to do. So that's my prayer for you to think about those things. Um, we don't know if the United States will be 247 years old or not. But I know the kingdom of our God will never end. Amen. So stick with the Lord. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. None above him, none before him. Let's sing it. None above him, none before him. All of time in his hand. For his throne it shall remain and ever stand. All the power.